A lot to talk about in this news roundup of the Squared Circle Psycho Babble, including who Chris Jericho thinks is the next big superstar. Joey Janela answers the critics. WWE signs the next big thing. Also, Cesaro is re-signed to WWE. But first, we're going to talk about Nick Aldis here on the Squared Circle Psycho Babble. My name is Michael Valenti. Joining me is Ralph Valenti. Ralph, Nick Aldis was on the Angle podcast and was asked about all the different crossovers with AEW and NWA and New Japan Pro Wrestling and was asked why he has not gone to either AEW or WWE. And his response was very interesting. Here's what he had to say. He said, even when I mentioned before that I had been offered to go to AEW, at the time I made the decision that I don't think it's the right thing to do right now because you have all these top guys and you sort of have to present them first. You got Jericho, Cody, Kenny, all the way down the line. You don't need me, and my ego is not that big. He continued on to say, the NWA needed me. I preferred it, and that's the truth. Not saying that I don't like them. Saying you like one thing doesn't mean you don't like another thing. You can have a company full of top guys, because ultimately what happens is that some of them have to work in the middle of the card, and some of them have to open When you have a roster full of main eventers, someone's going to be unhappy. Then fans are going to be unhappy. And then rumors start flowing and they get accused of burying so and so. I love this quote. I really do because it really talks about possibly the problems that could happen when you do these interpromotional shows. And some of the complaints that we get of, oh, why does this guy not get utilized? Yeah. And, and, you know, he actually touched on a couple of different things, probably the three biggest things. One, you talked about just kind of if he was if he were to go there and you bring in top guys from all of the other companies and now you have the top guys that are already established in AEW. Well, what does that do to some of the guys that might be in that upper to mid card? Mm-hmm. It means they're going to lose a spot. It means they're going right. to lose TV time and it means that they're going to get frustrated more than likely. Um, so it really doesn't become all that different than. Um, the conversation we have about WWE all the time about them not establishing a mid card or certain guys that are, should be in the main event that get pushed back to the mid card because the, some of the part-time guys come back and end up working those spots, not right. saying it's right or wrong. Um, but that's one of the points. The other point that he talks about here is, is the fact that, uh, you know, his title, um, he talks about that being the most important title or trying to establish it as the most important title. I know right now one of the hottest storylines in AEW and just, I guess, in pro wrestling is Kenny Omega being essentially this belt collector. Mm -hmm. There's so many different things that we can touch on, whether it's been egos, whether it's been, you know, guys that just don't want to um, do business the way that, you know, maybe a booker, promoter, uh, business owner want them to do it. Uh, Money, creative control, all those things come into play, especially when you're considering uh, guys going and working for a promotion or taking direction from a promotion that they may not even be contractually obligated to abide by. So if, if Nick Aldis were to go to AEW and they said, look, you're going to drop your title to uh, Kenny Omega, who's to say that he can't just be like, no, I'm not going to do that. And I'm sure at some point, something like that is going to happen. Um, right. It's just pro wrestling. That's how it is. Egos come into play. Quite often, creative control issues come into play quite often. Um, And I don't think that just saying, okay, well, it's AEW, it's different, is a legitimate reason why it may not happen again. 
Right. And I think a lot of people, they want these dream matches, title versus title. You know, you have Kenny with the AEW championship, Abushi with the double championship in New Japan, Rich Swan with Impact. And, oh, we need these title for title matches to see who's the ultimate champion. But what could end up happening, and Nick Oldis touched on this, like you said, you know, if one champion goes over, does that devalue the other champion? And I, I want to bring up what Nick Aldis said around this question because he was asked about it. He said, there's clearly a lot of interest in that because it gets brought up a lot. Whether there's any interest in that, I can't speak for AEW. If they are listening to the audience and you'd imagine that is on their radar. But my personal thought on this is that I'm more interested in continuing to build the NWA. I'm very confident in the value of my world title, and I don't need to put it up against various other belts to try to argue its validity. I have Dory Funk Jr., Harley Race, Jack Briscoe, Ric Flair, Terry Funk, Dusty Rhodes to make that argument for me. And that's the question that we have to ask, you know, does the title make the the wrestler or does the wrestler make the title? And I think when done right, it's a balance and you don't need to, you don't need to necessarily have all this beat Kenny Omega to validate the NWA World Heavyweight Championship. You don't need Kenny Omega to beat Rich Swan to validate the AEW Championship. You don't need Abushi to beat whoever to validate the IWGP Heavyweight Championship. So these title for title matches, you know, can muddy up the waters more than they clear them up personally. Yeah, and and honestly, at some point, you know, there's going to be some level of normalcy. Like when it comes to pro wrestling, like right now, everything that's going on, whether it's AEW working with New Japan, um, guys coming over from Impact, what, whatever the case may be, eventually, mm-hmm. more than likely, the titles are going to go to their respective companies and be be uh, defended and represented within their rightful company. Right. Um, so getting to that point is the difficult part because, you know, a lot of things can happen in between. Some guys may get upset because they're not in the heavyweight pick or they're not in the championship picture. Um, and they feel like they should be given that opportunity. Uh, so if you're spending time focusing on these storylines, promoting championship titles and interpromotional type matches, that's fine. And, and, and some fans are going to be into that type of stuff, but what happens once that's over with, what happens mm-hmm. once it's time to go back to creative for just AEW or creative just for NWA or New Japan and so on and so forth. That may be difficult. And, you know, you run the risk of driving off fans. You run the risk of uh, alienating some of your own professional wrestlers and making them upset. Uh, and, and, you know, it's a give and take right now. I think that they're doing the best they can with it. But eventually, I think at some point, if they continue down this road, you know, whether it's a mid-card guy who feels like he should be in the main event or, you know, guys that are upset because New Japan guys are coming over and taking their spots, uh, something will happen. Whether it's on a small scale or a large scale, I guess it remains to be seen. But I do think something will happen to the, to a, in a negative effect somewhere. I, I mean, it all depends. And I think the big issue that could happen as, you know, you're alluding to, Nick Aldis mentioned this too, is, all right, so we bring in Ibushi from New Japan, or we bring in Nick Aldis from NWA, we bring in Rich Swan, all these champions, and we see people complaining like at WWE, they bring a part-timer in to take a main event spot from somebody else, or at least that's the complaint when it's like Goldberg or, or, or Edge or anybody. But when they bring in someone from New Japan, you're taking a spot from someone that's already in AEW. 
And of course. the question is, who, who deserves that spot? And this is something that kind of Nick Aldis brought up and, you know, bringing up WWE too. And here's what he had to say about that. I don't envy WWE for this position because they are the market leader with an incredible amount of money with revenue so they can go out and get Bobby Roode, Cesaro, and those guys can work the top of the card with the right booking. But you got Roman. So people claim they're wasting Cesaro. He's so underutilized and underrated. But look, he's getting paid, and there's only one spot available at the top. And Mm -hmm. this is kind of that argument, like, you know, people say, oh, this guy's underutilized. Oh, this guy's getting buried. But at the same time, Nick Aldis is right. There's only one spot in the main event or two spots. You know, you got the champion and his challenger, and not everybody could be there. So if you're pushed in the mid card, you're pushed in the mid card, and that's not a bad thing. Not only is he right, and do I, well, not only do I think he's right, but he's a guy who comes across as being very understanding of the way the business works, very grounded and realistic about the situation because too many times mm-hmm. I think fans are quick to jump to, oh my God, they wasted this guy. Oh, this guy should be in the top main event. This guy should be this guy. This guy should be that. But like he said, realistically, there is one spot. And then there's only the only other thing you have other than that one spot is the ability to work with the top guy. And eventually they take the title off of that guy. And now he's the top guy. There is for AEW two hours worth of actual TV show that they have mm-hmm. uh, to try and build up their talent, whether that's right. mid card, lower mid card, upper mid card, their champions. You're not going to be able to fit everybody in the main event picture. It's just not going to happen. So when you bring guys in from other companies, whether it's Kenta, whether it's, uh, you know, who, whoever else is going to transfer. Like just this past week, we had the Good Brothers in the main event. At some point, I would imagine that is going to upset not just fans of a certain, you know, subset of the fan base, but the, the talent as well, because people are going to want People talked about AEW being this company that was going to provide opportunity because WWE wasn't giving that opportunity for these people that uh, felt like they had more to give to the business. Right. And when you are bringing in talent from other companies and taking spots away or giving spots away, deserved or not, just realistically, those spots are being given away to other people who may not be contracted to AEW. There's going to be some type of friction there, I'd imagine. Um, so, you know, I, I, th- I think all this is right on the money here. I think it's refreshing to see somebody who has a perspective that's realistic about the way that the, 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 the industry works. Um, you know, and I, I think that sometimes fans need to be a little more realistic themselves because just saying a guy should be pushed because he's good in the ring. There takes so many other things to make a superstar and for a guy to be uh, worthy of that spot, not Mm -hmm. just the fact that they're good in the ring. And, you know, obviously there's only, there can only be one champion on Braun SmackDown and and for obviously for AEW as well. So it's, it's not as simple as, okay, well, this guy is underutilized. Right. And I think, the trap that a lot of wrestling fans on social media, I'm not saying every wrestling fan, but one loss. Oh, they're buried or they're not the, the champion within six months. Oh, he's being underutilized, you know, stuff like that. And I think certain things get overused just to kind of vent out of frustration to kind of be the cool kid on social media. And it's just not the case. You know, well, that's kind of, that's kind of the, that's kind of the society, unfortunately, that that we live in now with with social media being 
such a prominent thing in a lot of people's lives. It gives people an opportunity to go out there and spin a narrative that can gain traction and get people behind it. And sometimes it's entirely BS and that's not mm-hmm. even necessarily, um, you know, pro wrestling. I mean, look at, look, look at today's the Super Bowl. Who's yep. in the Super Bowl? Tom Brady. If you looked at, if you listened to the analysts midway through, they would have said Tom Brady's off the money. He shouldn't be playing anymore. He should have retired because he, he's thrown all these interceptions. He's just not the Tom Brady of old. While he's playing in the Super Bowl, he could have right. been the MVP and he threw 40 plus touchdowns. Uh, two weeks ago, Conor McGregor fought Dustin Poirier, who, unless you're a UFC fan, follows MMA, you, you'd know that Dustin Poirier is a dog. He's a top guy. There's no shame in losing to Dustin Poirier. But what is the narrative that comes out of that? Well, Conor McGregor's old. He doesn't have the fire. He shouldn't fight anymore. He should retire. He fought a top guy. I mean, there's a winner and there's a loser in sports mm-hmm. and in sports entertainment and pro wrestling. So yeah. to suggest that there's this narrative that if somebody loses, they're automatically buried. Uh, no, like you can build anybody back up right now. We're have, literally having the, this conversation about a guy named Cesaro who got brought up and who knows? I mean, he got resigned and, and I know we're going to talk about this, but it looks like he's at least on a path to get a better push than he's been given in a long time. And people are acknowledging that. So, you know, one loss certainly isn't isn't burying anybody. Nobody's saying that Daniel Bryan is buried having lost to Cesaro. So, you know, it's just one of those things. People try to spin these narratives that just get taken way out of context and take a life of its own, especially now, considering we have social media that is so prominent. Ralph, you did a very smooth segue into our next topic because I think you'd like that. Yes. Cesaro's resigned. Now, Wrestling Inc. last week was reporting that Cesaro's contract was up after WrestleMania. Got some of the wrestling fans talking, oh, is he going to go to AEW? Is he going to go to New Japan Pro Wrestling? He deserves better. He's going to leave WWE and become the big star. Not even a week later, Dave Meltzer reports that Cesaro is resigned to WWE. Not only that, he was supposed to get the big push in the gauntlet match that Shinsuke Nakamura got. So the question is, one, should Cesaro have re-signed with WWE? And two, do you think there's a big push ahead for Cesaro? Should he have re-signed? I, I think he should. Um, I, I think this is the right call for him because, you know, I he he's talented in the ring. Like I said, there, there's certainly no doubt about that. Nobody's going to try and, and justify the fact that I, I think that he's not a talented guy in the ring. Right. His His issue has always been his charisma. His ability to go out there and cut a promo, his ability to go out there and command the room. Um, Now, when you say get a larger push, I think right now he's on a path to get a bigger push than he's been uh, given in the past. I thought that, you know, maybe the best thing he's done to date was his work with the with Seamus in the bar. Yes. Um, He's going to have to try to get past that point in his career. He's going to have to add different elements. He's going to have to overcome the fact that, you know, he really isn't a strong promo. Um. So I don't think it's necessarily on Vince McMahon or creative or anybody else to suggest that, you know, this guy needs to get a push because he's great in the ring. I think it's on Cesario. Cesaro. I think he's got to change up some things. I think he's got to overcome his negatives, which is his ability to be a good promo um, because his ring ability, he's, he's right there up there with some of the best, not just in WWE, but the industry. So if he can work on those shortcomings, yeah, he can be put in the heavyweight championship discussion. Mm-hmm. Um, right now, do I see that? No, realistically, I don't. Yeah, I, I would agree. And I think, like you said, the charisma, the promo ability has been his 
Achilles heel. And that's why he's not been a main event player. Like someone in the wrestling community would want him to be. Could he be there? Maybe, but it's got to come with work. It's not going to come from Vince McMahon and, you know, telling him he's got to work on his promo. So Zaro has to do it himself. And this is the thing that I think some wrestling fans that say, oh, why is this guy not in the main event? Or why is that guy not in the main event? That's where the disconnect kind of comes is the main event is not necessarily the best wrestler. The main event is Mm -hmm. the most marketable wrestler. That's why in AEW, it's Jericho. It's John Moxley. And, and Kenny Omega might be that guy right now that they're trying to use as the marketable guy to go around different promotions. In WWE, it's Roman Reigns. It's Drew McIntyre. In, in the women's division, it's Sasha Banks. It's Becky Lynch. It's Ronda Rousey. Those are the marketable wrestlers. Are they the best in-ring wrestlers? No, they're not. But are they the most marketable? Yes. And that's where the disconnect comes. Can Cesaro be marketable? As of what I've seen in his career in WWE, no. Can that change? Maybe. And it it depends on what happens here. He's had some solid wins against Daniel Bryan in weeks recently. He had a decent showing in the Royal Rumble this year. So there's obviously some promise here. But at the end of the day, it comes down to what Cesaro does for Cesaro. It can't be Vince buried him because it, it, he's given the ball. It's time to run with it. No, no. And, and that that's one of those things like, uh, can, can you point to certain things and say, maybe he should have been booked a little bit better. Yeah. I, I think you can probably make a case that maybe he could have been in that, um, you know, upper mid card, IC mm-hmm. champion, which he's been there. He's done those types of things. Right. Um, but yeah, I mean, you can't you can't just manufacture charisma. You can't just create it factor. It just comes naturally to some people. And, you know, there's been very, very few instances where a guy who's not necessarily strong in that charisma department gets the opportunity to win a championship. Probably the best example, and it's not even a good one because he's not the best person, you know, to ever grace a wrestling ring, but certainly skilled pro- professionally, in the ring is Chris Benoit. He was a guy yeah. that, you know, never, never a strong promo. He, his abilities in the ring were, were second to none. So technical, so good, so aggressive. Uh, unfortunately a psychopath, which tainted his, his, his career and his legacy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But he was never a guy that was going to go out there and command the room and cut a good promo. And he held the championship for a little while, but that was his Achilles heel. It's no, it's to me, it's no different with Cesaro. Cesaro needs to be able to go out there, be able to cut a promo, be able to be marketable because at the end of the day, and I mention this all the time, it is a business. Pro yes. wrestling is a business. You're not going to put the title on the, on some guy that people aren't going to be interested in because even if you use AEW as an example, this past week, Michael, what was the highest rated segment on AEW this past week? It was the, the wedding. So a sport, we could, we could pretty much say it was essentially a sports entertainment drama filled segment. Yes. So, so the casual fan wants drama. They want to be mm-hmm. entertained by somebody. They don't just want to watch pro wrestling. You can watch good pro wrestling if you watch, you know, anything from Ring of Honor to New Japan to AEW to WWE to wherever. You can mm-hmm. get that from any company. Right. But you can't get those larger than life characters and guys that people can gravitate towards just anywhere. They come around in every industry once in a lifetime, whether it's Conor McGregor, 
whether it's uh, you know, whoever else they, they they're they're few and far between. Right. So that's what Cesaro has to focus on, trying to be that, trying to become that person. Because in the ring, he's fine. Right. Now you bring up that once in a lifetime athlete, that once in a lifetime wrestler that could be the next big thing. Another good and segue. Another good segue, Ralph. Good job. <laughs> two for two. Now, the next big thing, or the self-proclaimed next big thing, is Parker Bordeaux. And I'm sure you've you've heard of the name Parker Bordeaux. No relation yes. to Scarlet. Uh, he is a freakish athlete from the University of Central Florida. And both AEW and WWE had their eye on this kid. And mostly because he it looks like he could be the illegitimate son of Brock Lesnar. Yeah. It turns out he will sign with WWE as reports from Dave Meltzer. Now, I don't know if you guys have seen videos. This kid has, I've seen him pull buses. I've seen him push vans. And the kid is a freakish athlete. Do you think he could be the next big thing in WWE? Uh, it's too soon to, su to suggest that. Definitely too soon to suggest that he'll be the next big thing. The first thing that he needs to do is learn how to wrestle. Uh, if, of he, if, he, if, he can, if he can get that part of it down, you know, it, it might be possible. But again, it comes down to the ability to connect with the fan, your personality. How are you able to come through that, that, that camera, through that screen, and be able to suck people in the way that the best people in the world can do it, the best entertainers in pro wrestling are able to do it, to command the mm -hmm. room. That is something that, you know, you could teach somebody and guide somebody to um, give them tips on how to command the room. Like certain people, if, if you're somebody who goes and does public speaking, uh, some people will go and take classes on that because it will, they'll, they'll okay, give them different techniques. Try this, mm -hmm. do this, don't say, um, don't do this. Uh, and that, and that can work for some people. Right. So yeah, maybe, I mean, physically sure. He's a beast in the ring. Uh, if he's that good of an athlete, can you get the psychological part of it? If he can get the psychological part of it, can he go out there and cut a promo? Um, I, I'm not going to say that he's going to be in the next big thing. I think that given he has, the size, I think that it's likely Vince will give him the opportunity to do that. Right. Uh, but right now, I'm going to say no, just because there's only been a handful of guys that have gotten to that point. There's only been a handful of guys that are good at that psychological and entertainment part. And uh, it's more difficult than, than people think. So I'm going to say no. I think the biggest obstacle that he's going to have to hurdle is the fact that he looks like Brock Lesnar. Yep. Yep. So he's going to have those comparisons now between now and when he decide, or between now and when he goes to the main roster, he can grow out his hair. He could grow a beard. He could do whatever he can to kind of break away from the, Oh, he looks like Brock Lesnar. And that would really help him. And I think WWE was the right move for him because as much as we want to say what they do with their mid card talent or, the indie darlings or the NXT call-ups Vince McMahon books, the big man better than what I've seen with AEW. Yes. I and agree. you know, Archer cage Wardlow, like is anybody there that really feels like they're a threat in the ring? And at, from what I've seen right now, the big man, if there's only, if there's one Achilles heel with the men's roster in AEW, it's the big man because they're not always booked like a big man. Well, and that's that's the thing, too. I mean, you look at AEW's roster in comparison to WWE's, not just like on roster, but backstage. 
I mean, he's going to go to WWE and he's going to have a ton of guys that are going to be able to just kind of give him some, some guidance, you know, Mm -hmm. guys like guys like triple H coming up through NXT. When he gets to the main roster, he'll have guys behind the scenes. Like, I don't know. It could, it could be, it could be Mark Henry. It could be big show. It could be, uh, it could, it could be Randy Orton. I mean, even a guy like Randy Orton, who most people would say, well, he's not a big guy. Well, Orton in comparison to NXT guys, I mean, even some of the guys on the AEW roster is a bigger guy and he has worked right. with big guys. So Brock Lesnar, um, he's going to be able to get the knowledge transfer that he would need to get to the point where he can go out there and work confidently as a big guy. And even Keith Lee, to a certain extent, you know, they everybody mm-hmm. made a big deal about him going to developmental. It wasn't because he didn't have the athleticism. It's because they wanted it to teach him, in my opinion, how to work like more of a big guy. He'll have the opportunity to learn from some of the very best in the industry going to WWE and AEW, you know, off the top of my head, I can't think of any, you know, legendary big guys that they have that were are working backstage that could give them, you know, that psychological edge in the ring and say, here's what you guys no. should do. Here's how you should work as bigger guys, uh, because, you know, they just they just don't have that right now because they're right. too new. So I, I think WWE is the right call for him, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, AEW. Even to the extent WWE with the select few, the the size of wrestlers today is definitely much smaller than it was 20 years ago. And some people will say that's kind of why the industry isn't as strong or popular as it is. But I that that's a different whole other debate. Sometimes it's just some of these wrestlers don't have physiques to make it look legitimate. And that brings me to our next story here. One Joey Janela. Joey Janela is going for the AEW TNT Championship this coming week on AEW Dynamite. Some people questioning why should he be getting this uh, opportunity when there's guys that have been there every week not getting an opportunity. And he actually had a response for this, Ralph. Here's what he, he went on to Twitter, and this is what he had to say. He said, quote, why does Joey Janela get a TNT title shot when the last time Joey Janela got a win on TV? This is a phrase of the last two days. It's not like Cody did an open challenge series for the belt with random dudes. LMFAO. Darby wanted this match and the bad boy is back. He went on to continue saying, when other people do things, it's fine. But when it involves Joey Janela, it involves a lot of fans crying. Probably because I look a lot like you. But the difference is I get to wrestle on TV, have a super hot girlfriend, eat lobster whenever the F I want, and don't care. I'm living your fantasy life while looking average, and there's nothing you could do about it. So cry with two laughing, crying emojis. I actually love the response from Joey Janela. He brings back the... You know, Cody did open challenges. He brought a guy like Warhorse in on AEW because, you know, the fans wanted it. And, you know, why can't Joey Janelle, who's a signed talent, go for a match that Darby wanted? Because this highlights all of the things that are wrong with the way AEW decides to book things. Now, if you go back to, let's say, two months ago, they tried pushing Chris Jericho and Luther as this some type of, you know, 18 years in the making. What? How many? How 30 years? I think 30 how, years in the making, 30 years in the making when realistically everybody knew this was not actually anything to care about because Luther was not beating Chris Jericho. Is right. there anybody on the face of the earth that watches AEW on a weekly basis that actually thinks that Joey Janela is going to beat um, uh, Darby Allen for the title? I highly doubt it. And not only no, that, but you know, I, upsets I, happen. 
Upsets happen. It could happen. You know, if Team Taz gets involved and costs the title and Joey Janela wins because of that, who knows? I mean, can it happen? Sure. Now, I think the problem that I think is the way they're positioning this, right? And we've already seen both of them kind of do this. They've said, oh, we have a history together. We have a history together on the independent scene. Nobody's, look, unless you were there to see it, like that shouldn't come into play right now because you guys are on two different levels. Yes, I get it. They work together on the independent scene. They came up together. They work together, whatever. But right now, Darby Allen is a champion and he's in the middle of one of the main intricate storylines. And as you pointed out, and as Joey Janela pointed out, he's been left off TV for however long. So, you know, mm-hmm. wh- why are you trying to build the dynamic that this guy's a legitimate threat? If this guy's a legitimate threat to Darby Allen to win the title, he should have been on TV every single week trying to build him up. And the other part of that, and this is, this is going to be going to assume, which I, I don't always like to assume, but I'll make a prediction on this. Mm-hmm. This match will go much longer than it needs to be. It'll be much more competitive than it needs to be. And again, it's going to highlight the shortcomings of the booking in AEW. If this guy is really that good where he's going to be able to go in there and go toe-to-toe with Joey Janela, I mean, I'm sorry, with, with Darby Allen, then why is he not on TV, at least on a, a bi-weekly basis? It doesn't have to be weekly, but it, it, it's just, you know, it, it, these are all the things that, that I think fans are have a, a, a legitimate gripe about because you know, I don't have a problem with him uh, challenging for the title, to say, per se. I do think that they should back off the, well, you know, we've worked together in the independent scene. I've won X amount of matches. You've won X amount of matches. I pro- Honestly, I probably wouldn't have even... Um, promoted it. It just could have been, you know, if 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 Cesaro is going to go against like, um, I don't know, some random guy that's in the lower mid card. Let's say Apollo Cruz, for example. Let's throw him out there, just just as an example. Well, not even him. So I would say lower than him. What's who who's lower on the card than Apollo Cruz? Let's say uh, <laughs> Ricochet. Okay, but <laughs> they would still probably promote that. How, how about like, uh, is Kalisto still there? Yes. Okay. Would you promote Cesaro and Kalisto a week out and try to make people think that this is a match that they should care about? That's no. how, that's what I feel about this. Like, like Joey Janela hasn't been on TV. He hasn't been made to feel important. It's not his fault. That's the way AEW has booked him. So why are you trying to promote this match like it's something fans should get excited about? Darby Allen is a champion. He should go over Joey Janela easily, and he's probably mm-hmm. not going to. Right. Well... I mean, it's not the first time AEW has booked like this. I'm not saying, you know, they should, but it's an open challenge. Joey Janela is answering it. So let him have the match. Is it going to be more competitive than some people would like? Maybe. But who knows? Team Taz, like I said, Team Taz can get involved. Sting can get involved. And that can lead to either a retention or a change of the title. And if it changes the title, I'd love to see social media react to it, either positively or negatively. It's going to be an interesting whirlwind if Joey Janela ends up upsetting Darby Allen for the TNT Championship. But we'll stay with AEW for our last story, Ralph. Uh, Chris Jericho was on the Hollywood Raw podcast, and they did a series of rapid-fire questions. And one of the last questions they asked was, who's the next big superstar in wrestling? His answer? Mm -hmm was Jungle Boy. Mm-hmm. Do you think Jericho has something here where Jungle Boy could be the next big superstar? Yeah. Yeah, I think Jungle Boy could certainly be the next big superstar given the, you know, obviously his 
his lineage, his his father, obviously not having worked in the industry, but but working in Hollywood. So mm-hmm. he's got that certainly going for him. Um, I love the fact that Tony Khan went out and bought the rights to this song that he bought the rights to for as his entrance theme now. Um, yeah, because honestly, I imagine once fans start coming back, that is going to be huge. I think that's going to get him over, you know, to to a certain extent. And and look, the guy's young. He can yeah. connect with that younger demo that you know, is so coveted to, to companies and to advertisers and, and people could gravitate towards that. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I, I think that he certainly can be, I think Darby certainly can be, I think WWE might have some people that could become the next big megastar. Um, but you know, a lot of guys have had the potential part of it actually becoming the next big star, the big superstar, the megastar of the industry and taking it to new levels. That's where a lot of guys fall short because unfortunately, right fans always throw that thing around. Oh, he's the next big star. He's the new, it doesn't always happen that way. It's not, it's not that easy. And that's why there's only been five, six, seven, eight big, super mega stars in the history of pro wrestling and its entire history. So easier said than done, but can he be? Yeah, I think he can be. I, I think part of the problem that could hurt him being the next big superstar is one his age right now to the, the, fickleness of fans if it doesn't happen now and three most big megastars have crossed over in other platforms to get there like Hogan needed Cindy Lauper and Mr. T Austin needed Mike Tyson the Rock needed to go to Hollywood Cena you know to the same extent needed to go to Hollywood to really be the next big superstar that is a recognizable name does does Jungle Boy or whoever that guy is have to do something like that and connect with various audiences. To be the megastar, you can't just be the megastar of the male 18 to 49 demographic. You have to pretty much be transcendent in every demographic possible. You need to gravitate towards women, which with his looks, he can. With his tie-in with his father, Luke Perry, he can. He needs to tie in with the 58-plus the or the 50-plus demo. He needs to tie in with 18 to 34. He's certainly a guy that could do it. The other thing that I think people don't realize, especially now when we're doing this argument of, you know, the age argument with Edge, with Goldberg, with Sting, whoever. I think people don't realize that these megastars, with the exception of The Rock and Cena, were all in their mid-30s when they became those big megastars in pro wrestling. Like Ric Flair in this feud with Dusty Rhodes and the Four Horsemen, was in his mid-30s. And then when he went to WWE the first round, he was in his early 40s. Hulk Hogan, when Hulkamania was running wild in the mid-80s, was in his mid-30s. When Austin was stunning Mr. McMahon every week on Raw, he was in his mid-30s. When Batista won the 2005 Royal Rumble, he was 36. Like, there's more of the mid-30 guys that become megastars or the top guy on the card then there are those 20-year-olds. So for every Rock and Brock Lesnar and John Cena, I could probably name five to 10 that were in their mid-30s that were in the same part of that card, but it took a long time than it did The Rock or Yokozuna or any of those young guys, quote-unquote, that were in their mid, that were in their 20s. And, and even when you talk about Hogan, let's not forget, Hogan went to WCW. He reinvented himself. He became the biggest star in the industry again. 
Then he came back and worked with The Rock at WrestleMania and was still crazy over, and he was in his mid to late 40s by that point. So mm-hmm. um, right. uh, there's a few more things I'm going to point out really quick just to kind of to kind of close this off here. So was it PW Insider? Who who said that Orange Cassidy was the most popular wrestler in, in, in pro wrestling? I forgot. One of the magazine, what, some magazine dubbed him the most popular pro wrestler, right? That was uh, PWI, Pro Wrestling right. Illustrated, was voted the most popular wrestler. Okay. And, and this is where I kind of push back on it a little bit because I think, I know for certain the industry and the landscape has changed since the time that Austin, Rock, all those guys were on top. Mm-hmm. It's just that we haven't had a wrestler who's been able to put it all together to transcend the industry from, you know, from from just niche to just operating in a bubble to get to that next level. Um, right. Orange Cassidy, and I'm not even saying this because people know I've been critical of him. He's not the most popular pro wrestler in the world. He just isn't because there's no numbers to suggest it. He hasn't moved the industry from point A to point B and become that big megastar. And in, in a world today where social media and branding is so important, there has not been a wrestler, including Orange Cassidy, who's been able to pull that all together and to get to that next level. Uh, you look at Orange Cassidy's social media followings, I think at most he has 200,000 followers on either Instagram or Twitter. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry, you're not the most popular wrestler in the world if that's your social media following. Now, I know what people are going to say he sold a bunch of T-shirts and that's great. But even if you look at viewership and even if you look at ratings and things like that, there's nothing that jumps off the page that would suggest people are tuning in just to watch him. And I'm not saying that to put the guy down. I'm saying this because people need to get things into perspective of where the industry currently is and what needs to happen for either a Jungle Boy or an Orange Cassidy. And I'm not saying Orange Cassidy can't be that guy. I'm just saying that right now he's not. Mm -hmm. Um, Darby Allen. Like somebody's going to have to learn to to brand themselves and to just get outside of the bubble of pro wrestling where people are like, oh, my God, he's so gifted. He's so talented. Right. That's great. But if you're going to be the megastar and you're going to put the industry on your back and bring it to the level that Rock, Hogan, Flair, Austin, that those guys brought it to, you need to do more outside of the industry. If I'm Tony Khan and you may laugh and other people may laugh when I say this, I would take jungle boy and i would push as hard as i possibly can to get him on the bachelor and that may sound <laughs> listen people may think that is stupid and think that's funny and whatever else but you need to get attention you need to get some type of social media following or some type of traction outside of the industry he's a good looking enough guy he's got the lineage with his father in in hollywood and stuff like that People would gravitate towards it. You tell me, what are the top-rated shows in, in entertainment? It's either sports, the news, or what? Drama bullshit like... Reality you know. TV. Yeah. So get some, put somebody in some type of environment like that where people can pay attention, like what Cody's doing. They'll be like, oh, mm-hmm. wait a minute. So he's on that show, and you know what? He's on wrestling too. Well, now maybe if he's put in a big main event, maybe those casual fans that are paying attention to The Bachelor or what Cody's doing will tune in to pro wrestling. That's what people need to start realizing. Like this isn't you, a pro you mean res- when Cody, you mean when Cody's facing Shaquille O'Neal with Jade and Vet- red velvet industry wise, if it works, it works. This is the problem. Like people look at it as it's just pro wrestling. We need five-star matches. Okay. You need five-star no. matches for the hardcore fan. But if you're, if you're an owner of a company 
and you're talking about the next megastar. You're not going to get there by just having five-star matches. It's not going mm-hmm. to happen. I'm sorry. Right. You need to be able to brand. You need to understand that this is an industry about branding and networking. And social media is important, especially in the age that we're living in today where a teenage girl can go and have billions of followers on TikTok by doing stupid dances. And you got, you know, people on, you know, social media essentially saying that, you know, this is the the next best thing because 900,000 people tuned in to watch an episode of Dynamite. Well, why is it that the teenage girl who's doing TikTok videos is captivating enough to have people watch whatever the hell she's doing or he's doing. Mm-hmm. And you can't get enough interest to peak a million viewers on, on for pro wrestling. You're right. not going to get there by just having good pro wrestling matches. I'm sorry. So right. you have to try different shit. Right now. Checkers and will... chess, man. Checkers and chess. That's what Vince gets. And that's what other fans don't get. Right. Well, I will. When it comes to the ratings game, I will say that. And, being from television, I've said this thousands of times that the 50 plus demo skews the total viewership, which is why it, I personally don't like the total viewership number. I like a lot of wrestling fans focus on demos, but I also even dive in it, into it a lot more as to what demos are leading where. Like I like people will say the sky is falling because WWE lost all these viewers, but they're number one in the 18 to 49 demo. They're number one in almost every demo except females 18 to 49 where they're number two and the 50 plus demo, which gets dominated by news coverage, you know, but people don't want to talk about that. Uh, AEW does well in the male 18 to 49 demo. They don't do well in other, other demographics compared to the rest of cable. Can a guy like Jungle Boy be that? I think he can. I think it's going to take a while, but he's 20... I think he's 23 years old, 24 years old. So it it might take 10 years for him to get everything together, you know, and be that superstar, be that megastar. But can the wrestling audience be patient enough to wait almost 10 years for that to happen? When his body matures, when he has a lot more wrestling matches under his belt, and he gets this, not just the in-ring part, but the psychological, the charisma, the performance part of it. That will be, that's going to be part of it. And the other thing that needs to be part of it too is with all these megastars that we've seen in wrestling, they've all had some some villain or, or hero on the other side of the spectrum. With Ric Flair, it was Dusty Rhodes. It was Ricky Steamboat. It was... You know, with Hogan, it was Roddy Piper. It was the Heenan family. With Austin, it was McMahon and the Corporation. With Cena, it was Orton. It was it was Edge. That's the other thing, too. Can you find someone to balance with Jungle Boy? And I think that person could be MJF. And yeah. both of them, we already know they can have a great match. Can they put a story behind it? I think they can with MJF's promo ability. Now, Jungle Boy needs to work on his promo. Can he? That's to be seen. I agree. Yep, I yeah. agree 100%. All right, let us know what you guys think of Nick Alice's comments, what you think of Parker Bordeaux in WWE. Also, let us know who you think the next megastar in professional wrestling is. Don't forget to share this all over social media. We're on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at SCPB Podcast. Subscribe, hit that bell to join the conversation, and we'll see you on the next episode of the Squared Circle Psychobabble.